from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Of course, that's Valdez with an S at the end. I am your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Happy to be here with you on a Friday night, and it's amazing, right? We've got, we've got so much crazy in the world, and now the fox is guarding the hen house. Merrick Garland, the uh, attorney general of the United States, he decides, you know what? This thing with Hunter Guard uh, Biden, it's, it's getting out of hand. So we're going to have to appoint a special counsel. Now, Republicans have been clamoring for a special counsel into this case for quite some time. Now, the special counsel regulation is designed for when there's a, a potential conflict. And again, the potential conflict here that Garland uh, is, is citing in doing this is that he is the attorney general of the United States. And while there's a perceived independence from the DOJ and the White House, it really isn't, right? Just theoretically, there isn't one. This is why they always said, you know, Trump's lawyers, Trump's lawyers. And this it's the same case here. Now, of course, we expect that people are going to nominate someone, people being the president, whoever the sitting president is, they're going to nominate somebody that they believe is going to be impartial and qualified, and that person's going to sit for Senate confirmation, and they're going to be above reproach and have... Uh, you know, high moral character and all these things. But we haven't really seen that from Merrick Garland, right? Merrick Garland is the attorney general that turned a blind eye and, if, and you know, for my belief, actually allowed or even helped draft, for all I know, this letter that said that parents had to uh, be uh, looked at as uh, domestic violent extremists. Remember the letter? I think it was October of 2022, maybe 2021. Just absolute insanity. So Merrick Garland decides to appoint the guy that approved this sweetheart plea deal for Hunter Biden to not get charged on a gun charge, for Hunter Biden to have some sort of um, blanket immunity moving forward from all cases. It, the, the deal was so crooked, and we talked about it on the show, that a federal judge rejected it. And yet here we are with that same guy, David Weiss, the United States attorney uh, in Delaware, who is now the special counsel. I mean, what difference was there, right? He was already the uh, U.S. attorney on this. So the idea, in theory, the idea would be if you're going to appoint a special counsel because you think you're, this is too close to home because it involves the president's son and there's alleged criminality by the House Oversight Committee saying that this, this whole thing is part of a larger conspiracy for bribery. That involves then-Vice President Joe Biden current President Joe Biden. Yet all the Democrats can say is, well, you know, I mean, this is totally unfair. They're trying to come after Biden for things he did while he was vice president. Why didn't they go after him then? And how are you going to hold that against him if he's president now and he didn't do those things now? Now, while that may make sense, you know, if you're not paying attention and you may have just woken up, but the reality is these things are still going on, right? They're, they, they, <laughs> all the characters involved here, China, Russia, Ukraine, 
Are we still not dealing with China, Russia, and Ukraine? Is Joe Biden not being incredibly soft on China, Russia, Ukraine? Of course he is. So then this, this idea that he is somehow uh, immune uh, from, from being involved in this is crazy. It's just crazy to think that. It's crazy to think that you're going to take the guy that's already been overseeing the case and did such a bad job that a federal judge said, uh no, thank you. You're going to take that guy and you're going to put him in charge of the whole thing as a special counsel. This is another example of the smoke and mirrors that comes out of Washington, D.C. It's political sleight of hand. This guy, Weiss, is not the guy, right? He's just simply not qualified, not eligible, not anything to, to be the special counsel in this case. Yet that's who they picked. They picked the fox to guard the hen house. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. But Merrick Garland uh, had a news conference today saying that Weiss will be the new special counsel. Listen to this. On Tuesday of this week, Mr. Weiss advised me that in his judgment, his investigation had reached a stage at which he could, should continue his work as a special counsel, and he asked to be so appointed. Upon considering his request, as well as the extraordinary circumstances relating to this matter, I have concluded that it is in the public interest to appoint him as special counsel. This appointment confirms my commitment to provide Mr. Weiss all the resources he requests. It also reaffirms that Mr. Weiss has the authority he needs to conduct a thorough investigation and to continue to take the steps he deems appropriate independently, based only on the facts and the law. Mr. Weiss will also continue to serve as U.S. Attorney for the District of Delaware. As special counsel, he will continue to have the authority and responsibility that he has previously exercised to oversee the investigation and decide where, when, and whether to file charges. The special counsel will not be subject to the day-to-day -day supervision of any official of the department, but he must comply with the regulations, procedures, and policies of the department. So it sounds to me like they said, you know what, let's take the fox, who's already been guarding the headhouse, and let's make sure that he's the only person guarding the headhouse, and this way, if anything happens, he can kind of clean it up. David Weiss is going to conduct a, a cleanup operation here, right? This is a cover-up. That's all, all I can conclude from this. He says to his boss, hey, look, I, I've every legal means here to protect Hunter Biden, I've exhausted. The judge even threw out the thing that I did there. So, I mean, uh, the, the deal that we tried to give him, the plea deal. I don't know what else I can do. The only other way to get around this is if you make me special counsel, and this way nobody can interfere with my work because I'll be protected under the special counsel regulation. And he says, well done, young lad. Go right ahead. Carte blanche for you. I mean, this is just, uh, it, it never ceases to amaze me that when they want to do their dirt, they do it on a Friday afternoon. That's always how it goes, right? It's always on a Friday afternoon where they release this information so that now, People are on vacation. It's the 11th of August on a Friday. Most people are working, if they're even working on a Friday because they're taking off Fridays for the summer or whatever and whatnot. N nobody knows. Nobody cares, right? The, the, he says this is in the public interest. This, is, this flies in the face of the public interest. Absolutely uh, insane, the fact that we have this. So, of course, we're going to hear calls to impeach Garland, calls to impeach Mayorkas for the border. The, all roads lead 
not just impeaching Joe Biden, but to, to show Joe Biden is absolutely horrible. He is the worst president we've seen. This country is so incredibly mismanaged by Joe Biden financially, geopolitically, and now um, legally, where they're abusing the legal system, using lawfare to go after Trump and manipulating, I'm going to say, prostituting the Department of Justice for their own political means. Absolutely crazy. We're going to continue this discussion a little bit later with uh, Chris Salcedo from Newsmax TV. He's going to join us later. Uh, of course, we've got Phil Wegman from Real Clear Politics. He's going to weigh in on some 2024. And of course, I want to get into CPI, the uh, Consumer Price Index, and a look at the economy and a couple of other political topics uh, with our buddy Dennis Neal. He's coming up next. So don't move a muscle. It's going to be a kick-butt show tonight. Make sure you put the volume up, pull up a chair, bring the family around the radio like back in the days because you don't want to miss this. You're going to learn a few things, I hope. You might even get a chuckle or two out of this stuff. So um, don't move a muscle. Keep it locked right here. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. I want to listen to you, Rich, all the time. America at Night with Rich Valdez. What do you say to those Americans who make that point that they don't feel the benefits of of what the president is saying is an improving economy? Well, we have 13 million more jobs. We have um, uh, uh, the strongest growth rate out of all the leading economies. Uh, we have a reduction in inflation. So for people who are looking at their pocketbook, they should find that uh, things are less expensive than normal. So for everybody's everyday life, things will get better. I can guarantee you. All right, America, welcome back. That's uh, Julie Chu on the Sunday shows. Meet the press, if I am not mistaken. And she says, you know, everything's expensive, but it's not so bad. Things are going pretty good. So. Uh, the new uh, Consumer Price Index report came out, and I said, man, I got I to gotta talk to my buddy Dennis Neal. And now you guys remember him. He was on CNBC. Um, he was a writer for the Wall Street Journal, and he's got an amazing podcast now. It's What's Bugging Me. You could hear it on Apple and Ricochet and every other podcast platform that's out there. Dennis Neal, welcome. Thanks so much, Rich. Good to talk to you. And happy Friday, my friend. Yes, mazel tov. So let us, um, let us dig in here. Because the the big news yesterday, and again, I don't know if it was big news, but it was, you know, Biden had been bragging that inflation's going down, inflation's going down, inflation's going down. And then CPI comes out and says it's up 3.2 percent. I'm rooting for America. I'm rooting for a better economy. So I want to see Biden win. You know, I I don't want to see him lose because then I lose. Right. We all lose together. But what is um, what do you make of this news of the CPI numbers? So things are are mixed, you know, and what listeners prefer and what investors prefer is when the picture is really stark one way or the other. But as you noted, Rich, yesterday we had the CPI, that price index come out. And so prices in July versus July of a year ago, they're up 3.2%. Well, that's bad given the Fed wants prices to be up no more than 2%. That's their long range goal. But it's good given that, you know, six or nine months ago, prices were up 9% versus a year ago. All right, so that's good news. Wall Street expected to be worse than up 3.2%. They, they expected 3.3%. 
And when the, you know, the stock market's trading, it's less about what the number is and more about whether it was above or below the expectations of what the number was supposed to be. Then today, the producer price index, and that's like the wholesale prices, right? That ends up going into all the materials that make stuff that end up coming out to be retail prices three months from now, let's say. The producer price index came out, and that sucker's up uh, more than expected. It was up uh, three, you know, zero point three percent over the month before, and, and the Wall Street wanted to be up only two tenths of a percent instead of three, you know, three tenths. So that's a big deal. And so it was uh, the stocks, both the big S and P five hundred index and the Nasdaq, both ended up down for the week, Rich, just like they did the week before. That's two weeks down. So it's all mixed back and forth. But here's the surprise, Rich. Where's the recession, man? We've been talking about it for over a year, fearing it, all the mm -hmm. experts. It never came. Now they're starting to say maybe it's never going to come. The weirdest thing came out earlier this week. Atlanta has this Federal Reserve Bank, right? you got these different regional banks that are part of that whole Federal Reserve Board, Rich. And Atlanta, they're in charge of you know, pr you know, predicting stuff and projecting. And they're projecting for the third quarter ending September 30. We're in the middle of it now. 4.1% GDP growth. That's like more than double what, it, what, what the Fed, you know, would hope for. And so what's going on? You know, it's, it, so the, the economy is doing better in some ways than you expect. And yet we're not feeling it, are we? Look at what you just played, Rich. We're not feeling right. it. So how do we explain that? How do we reconcile that? Because I know I, I exactly you, why. I'm still spending a ton of money. <laughs> I don't want to spend that money. You know, uh, here's the thing. Like the price increases that, that just came out, um, housing was, brought, was, was responsible for 90% of the increase in inflation in July. But in housing, if your apartment uh, lease isn't up, if your uh, uh, apartment mortgage is your home mortgage is the same as it ever was, you don't face real inflation. The only people facing that are people renting for the first time, renting new, moving to a new place, right? So it's elusive. It, it's illusory. It's not that bad, right, on one hand. Yet when we go to the gas pump, Gas is still three, four dollars a gallon versus less than two when Trump was president. When we go to the uh, uh, grocery store, food prices still are way elevated, way beyond where the, where they were when Trump was president. And those are the things we feel the most instantly. Those are the things we feel in our daily lives the most visibly and viscerally. I don't know. I, I'm not buying it. I'm still spending a ton of money here. And, and I think that, the most that's Americans what I'm saying. Are. Those prices are those prices are still up, and that's why everybody's not feeling it, and they're not feeling like the economy is going that well. Plus, I'm I'm hearing from many people that I talk to that are still looking for work. They're still looking for work. I'm hearing about they're price freezes, wage freezes, hiring freezes in companies. Uh, we've seen some of the larger companies laying people off. And other, there's economists out there that are saying that while we're not calling it a recession, those back-to-back -back, um, quarters of, of lowered growth um, was, uh, was in effect. That did happen a while. That might have been a recession itself. And, and there's something else you've got. You know, Jim Iorio is this big trader, and he's, uh, mm -hmm. the, he's got the Futures Edge podcast. And he came on What's Bugging Me, uh, which is, was, was up, and he says uh, that, that the Fed numbers show that there's a $400 billion shortfall in the tax revenues compared with a year ago that they're projecting out. So the economy is slowing. You're right about that. We could go into a recession soon. And if we do, boy, is that trouble if it happens in the election year. No U.S. president ever has been reelected in a recession year from the last time I checked on this. And uh, so that could be trouble for Biden. 
But the other side to that, though, Rich, is that the Fed, I don't think they want Trump to win. I think they are a political animal, and I think the Fed will make sure to cut rates before the election year but so that they can stop a recession from sinking in mm-hmm. with uh, too much vengeance, you know, because they want Biden to win. Well, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I just wonder how it's one thing to, to play the game and fool um, or manipulate Wall Street, right? So you can say, hey, look, I'm going to finagle these numbers here so that, you know, you don't have these reactions that we see when, when inflation goes up and whatnot. But on the other side of that coin, you can play that game all you want. If that doesn't, to use the term trickle down, if that doesn't uh, transcend to the people and people aren't saying, you know what, uh, yeah, I'm going on that vacation. I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm doing a lot better financially now. I think people are going to still be dissatisfied. Every yeah. poll that's out there uh, indicates that Americans are not super pleased with Biden, but they're even less pleased with his performance on the economy. So yeah, I just, it's, uh, I, 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 he, while he's yeah, I'm just saying while he's saying that he's doing great, uh, I just don't know if the people believe it. And and reports like this are, you know, they're questionable. That's why I asked how uh, how big of a deal you thought it was. Well, you know, Rich, they talk about the wisdom of crowds. And the fact is people are smart and they know that the economy, to the, to the extent that it's surviving at all, is doing so in spite of Joe Biden rather than because of it to the extent the economy is growing, because Biden came in and his policies instantly made the economy worse. I mean, they're spending an extra $2 trillion on something they call the Inflation Reduction Act. That mm-hmm. fuels inflation, right? They had the anti-drilling. They instantly cut back, and we lost the number one title in the world for producing oil and that gas. Prices soared. That's directly because of Biden's policies. That whole climate change dogma is adding billions of dollars in cost to business. That ESG agenda is killing capitalist spirit. You know, his mini scandals are kind of destabilizing for the market outlook. So this economy, if it's succeeding at all, Rich, is succeeding in spite of Joe Biden. Yeah, I agree with that. And I'm going to continue the discussion on the economy and a couple of other topics with Dennis Neal. He's host of the What's Bugging Me podcast. Make sure you check that out. Dennis Neal from CNBC. You know him from there. You know him from The Wall Street Journal. Great guy. He's been on this program before. And uh, we're going to continue this Financial Friday edition uh, for a little bit longer because uh, there's there's more to discuss. So don't go anywhere, Dennis Neal. Stick with me, folks. America, keep it locked right here. We're coming right back to continue our discussion with Dennis Neal. And you can call us, 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDEZ. I'm Rich Valdez, and we're coming right back. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, U.S. cellular customers. I've got good news, so don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What's Us Days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. No, I didn't misread that. That's up to $1,200 off. They must really like you all. Us Days at U.S. Cellular. 
Exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers could get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Visit uscellular.com for terms and restrictions. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez. I'm here with Dennis Neal. He is the host of the What's Bugging Me podcast. And uh, we have uh, Karine Jean-Pierre earlier in the week. She says that despite the uh, bad poll numbers uh, on the economy, um, it doesn't really tell the whole story. Biden's really doing a good job. Check this out. The latest CNN poll out just days ago showed that the Americans are pretty sour on the state of the economy. Uh, they think it's in a downturn or getting worse. About half of respondents, the president's approval rating for his handling of the economy is at 37 percent, 30 percent on inflation specifically. From the White House perspective, why is there disparity between the good story, the narrative you think you have to tell and how it's received by the American people? So a couple of things, Victor. Look, as we know, polls don't show everything. They don't tell the full story, as you just stated. And we have to remember, if you look at where we were back in the fall of 2022 during the midterm elections, when the president delivered a historic uh, midterms for uh, for Democrats, when we think about how uh, as a as a Democratic president, he uh, delivered a victory that we hadn't seen in decades. Right. And he led that messaging throughout those months going into November. And we are in a stronger position now than we were back uh, back then in the fall. And so that is important to note. So that's Corrine Jean-Pierre, the uh, White House press secretary, saying that, uh, listen, the polls don't tell the whole story, right? You know, meanwhile, CNN has a poll just about a week ago. Half of Americans think the economy is getting worse, despite months of stronger economic news. Again, because economic news only goes, oh, but so far, Dennis Neal. Yes, absolutely, Rich. And you know, the thing is, when we, what we just heard there from Karine Jean-Pierre, the reason they can say things look good is it's because of this old blues song that Furry Water Walters uh, gave in like 1920 or something. I've been down so long, it looks like up to me. I mean, sure, it, it might look good compared with how far things that were down in COVID. But you know, when half of America thinks, no, the economy is getting worse, you got to start worrying that people know more than the experts know and that they do sense something out there. You talk about friends of yours looking for work that can't find jobs. I've met this week with two different guys who are out there looking hard and have great resumes. I know quite a few people like that. You're right. Big tech companies, the biggest, richest companies, are themselves cutting back 10,000 and 20,000 jobs. Um, and, and small businesses, a lot of them still reeling post-COVID. You know, I walk around my neighborhood in, in Brooklyn, Rich, and – you know, you see uh, restaurants still shuttered. They've been closed for two years, spaces that still haven't rented out. And so we're still not uh, firing on all cylinders, are we? No. And, and, it's, and again, I, it's expected that the White House press secretary is going to provide spin. But the polls are polls, right? And I, I take a poll with a grain of salt. But the, the, this poll that I'm looking at here, right, this is... Um, 51% say they think the economy is still in a downturn and getting worse. And that's a CNN poll. 
And yeah. I'm thinking, this is bad. Now, Biden's overall approval rating stands at 41%, right? Which is kind of where yeah. he's been since uh, springtime. But right. his approval drops to 37% when people are asked, how is he handling the economy, right? And further, 30% for his handling of inflation. So it, it seems yeah. very, very bad. And if you look at just the sure independents, it's only 26% that approve of his handling of inflation. So I think, yeah, that's you know, devastating among independents, isn't it? It's a horrible number. And see, that's what people feel the most. And, and, and the worst thing is, is that the administration will, you know, blame oil companies for raising prices, even as it, you know, passes regulations that raise the price uh, of oil and it's responsible for that. And they complain about, uh, uh, companies raising prices to profiteer, but you know, money can't chase after higher prices unless there's more money flooding into the system. And remember that the Fed's balance sheet in recent years, you know, before the 0809 meltdown, the Fed balance sheet was around 900 billion. It swelled up to $9 trillion in fake money that the Fed, you know, bought bonds through Wall Street, U.S. bonds, et cetera. And so that flood of money into the system does end up itself chasing after higher prices and fueling higher prices as a symptom of the inflation of money. And that is Biden's fault and Congress's fault, that $1.9 trillion Inflation Reduction Act, which is so funny and ironically named because it does the opposite. And then they just had that debt deal, Rich, right? where they're going to be able to borrow an extra three or $4 trillion in the next two years. Both parties agreed to that. And American people, they know better. They don't run their own households that way, do they? Although our mm-hmm. credit card debt is up past $1 trillion for the first time in uh, ever. ever. Even, yeah. e- even though our interest rates are set by the Fed, that overnight borrowing rate for banks, that's up to a 22-year high. And yet that hasn't stopped people from borrowing you know, on their credit cards, which is, you know, carrying interest rates of 22 and 25%. So we know the problems, Dennis Neal. If I had a magic wand and I could give you any job you wanted, what would you like? Uh, Treasury secretary, Fed chair, what, what would you prefer? Well, I'd like to be, you know, you need an economic czar, kind of a tech oriented economic czar, don't you? To, to, to look at, problems. I mean, wouldn't it be great to be, I'd like to be the breakup czar of the federal government, break up the FBI and move it out, regionalize, break like, you know what they did with a bell system. They broke up AT&T into, you know, nine, seven regional bell companies years and years ago. Well, they ought to break up the government and move it out of Washington and break it up into regionals and separate it. Wouldn't that be fun? That, you know, because be the regulation stopping business from growing and strangling business stopping us from getting going again is just terrible. And uh, Trump came in and he passed a rule saying, guys, for every new rule you insist on passing in, in the bureaucracies here, you've got to cut 16 rules. So he cut thousands of pages from the Federal Register of Rules. But then come Biden and Democrats and they're just they're just piling on, you know, and it kind of strangles the economy and stops it from growing. There's two things. I'm sorry to talk. So, so, so I don't mean to filibuster, Rich, but no, no, that's how fine. things are. But then there's how we feel. OK. And you know what? If we had a, a better leader, a better communicator who knew more what he was talking about, he wasn't swamped by scandal right now. His coke snorting son wasn't, you know, getting sweetheart deals from the government. He didn't have his own Justice Department 
breaking the law by appointing a new special prosecutor who's supposed to be outside the government, but is instead one of his loyal lieutenants inside the Justice Department, this Weiss guy that happened today, didn't it? All these scandals, it makes you an American citizen going out and earning your money and doing your work feel like things feel flimsy and, and unstable and what the heck's going on. And so you can't have confidence in where we're going because the president doesn't know where the heck we're going. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> when, we, when we come back, I want to I wanna get your take on, on uh, I would love to do that too. And I think that's the key, right? I think Reagan was great at that, at reducing red tape. And, and it's, it's, it's critical for, for business growth, for just for this engine of the United States to continue running, to get the government kind of out of the picture and shrink it. Uh, but specifically getting us out of this economic mess. I'd like your take on that if you were in charge. So, folks, we're on with Dennis Neal. You know him from CNBC and from the Wall Street Journal, and he's the host of the What's Bugging Me podcast with uh, Ricochet. So uh, check that out. It's on all the platforms, and he's really insightful. He's coming back for one more segment. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night. With Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. They just can't stand the fact that we had a job report of over nearly 200,000 jobs today, that unemployment is three and a half percent, the 18 straight months of unemployment being under four percent. We're talking about 13.4 million jobs created with Joe Biden in the White House and working with the congressional Democrats. They have to change the subject and they have nothing to offer the American people in terms of jobs and the rest. They talk about it, but then they change the subject when it's time to deliver. Dennis Neal, Nancy Pelosi says you're full of it. What say you? I'd say she's as drunk as the guys at the Atlanta Fed who are projecting 4% GDP <laughs> growth in the third quarter. That was Jim Iorio on Let's Bug Emmy who said those people in Atlanta must be drunk. Well, she must be too. You know, Rich, you were talking about what can we do to get out of this economic malaise that's going on. You know, remember Kim Strassel, the great uh, op-ed columnist at the Wall Street Journal. She has a new book out called The Biden Malaise, and she draws all these parallels to Jimmy Carter and what happened in Jimmy Carter, you know, 1976 through 1980. And then she goes on to say that it's a very unkind comparison because, frankly, Carter inherited a far worse economy and did – far less badly than Biden has done, having inherited a pretty good economy that was growing post-COVID. But, Rich, I have a seven-point plan for how to get us out of this mess, if you want to hear it. I can run through it fast. Okay, We've got time. Take your time, brother. The audience is listening, and they want to hear your insight. You you said, what would you do? It's so fun, right, for us to think about, what if I were in charge, what would I do? Okay, so if I were in charge in Washington, first thing I'd do, 
Number one, cut all department spending except for entitlements and defense. Cut everything 10% instantly and then freeze spending there for the next two years. That gets rid of all budget fights and negotiations. Number two, drill, baby, drill. Unshackle U.S. energy and gas. We were the best in the world, number one. It will bring energy prices down. It will create jobs. It will create more tax revenue. Number three, cut corporate taxes. Rich, did you know that studies, economic studies since the 1960s have shown that when company corporate taxes are cut by government, the companies boost pay for their employees more. They spend more on trying to hold on to employees and keep them happy when they have that freed up money. So number three, cut corporate taxes. Number four, a flat rate income tax for taxpayers. This would let us, you know, tax three different levels of income for the different earnings uh, levels, right? But then it would wipe out $400 billion that we spend every year on tax advice. Because you would just know if you earn over 100000 you pay 20%. If you earn over 500000 you pay mm-hmm. 30%, whatever that is. So flat tax number four. Number five, Rich, um, create a new tax incentives to get companies to bring their manufacturing lines home to the U.S., then give them extra bonuses if they locate those new, new lines in the poorest zip codes. Then still extra tax bonuses and, and tax incentives if they give training to the people in those poor zip codes to take jobs at the new factories that they brought the lines home from China, especially. Extra bonus if you're going home from China because they're our biggest enemy. They hate us. They want to hurt us. Point number six, boost defense. A strong defense helps us avoid war. And we've mm-hmm. got to boost that. We should be feared rather than, than, than looked at as a joke. And lastly, of my seven-point plan, Rich, a new AI moonshot program to seize the lead from China and lead the world on AI and stop it before it gets out of control. I like the plan. Uh, listen, if, if there's space on that debate stage, I think you should join them for 2024. Dennis Neal, 2024, everybody. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, But you bring up some interesting things, right? China's making moves with their space program. Uh, We have uh, Russia just launched a uh, lunar something or other. And I don't see the United States being as competitive in that market. I see uh, Biden kind of going on defense now against the Republicans that are exposing his criminality. I see Biden uh, appeasing the Chinese. I see Biden uh, appeasing Russia, doing zero in Ukraine. Uh, whether it's geopolitically, uh, domestically, I feel like we're in a bad position uh, as a country. And again, that's just my view. Maybe it's because I don't like Joe, as I call him, Joe El Baboso Biden. But um, do do you see any area of strength where we're doing well that that warrants a Biden reelection? Gosh. (laughs) Well, you know what? The Democrats have managed to pass all kinds of election measures in various locales that, uh, you know, encourage mail-in voting and that, you know, opens the way for more fraud. So that could help Biden win. Certainly there's that. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Um, If the U.S. avoids recession and understand the Fed now, what they did is they raised rates up to, we're up to five and a half to five and three quarters percent. And what the Fed's doing is they want to have room to cut rates. So when they start cutting rates, 
in say June of 2024, three months before the, you know, or was it five months before the November elections, that's going to help the markets and that's going to make things look rosy. So you could have that illusion that could help Biden. The question is whether the middle part of America can get past resistance to Donald Trump because he's a jerk and realize that this guy at least will rip Washington open and expose some of the rot and do something to fix it. He's an outsider. I don't even know that many other Republican candidates will be willing to do that. They're, they're all kind of part of the system that they grew up in. Most of them. Mm-hmm. Good point. Dennis Neal, uh, I, I know we had you scheduled till, till right now, but can you stick around for another segment? I want you to tell everybody about your podcast. Sure. I'd love it. That's so nice of you. Absolutely. You bet. All right. Stick around, folks. We're coming back with Dennis Neal, host of the What's Bugging Me podcast. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Richie V, I want to thank you. People need to know you're not only a great call screener, you're even a better broadcaster. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're on with Dennis Neal. And Dennis Neal, you know, I started a little over five years ago in this business, and I started out as a producer, call screener for the great one, Mark Levin, and uh, quickly uh, got myself a podcast and, and did well with that and then ended up on radio, and I love it, and here I am. And I think podcasts are such a great way to communicate with people, and I want you to tell everybody about your podcast. Well, that is such a nice setup, man. I mean, this is why you're one of the incredibly well-liked people in the business, because you're so gracious, Rich, and I appreciate it. Well, you know, uh, I'm Dennis Neal, and I was this longtime journalist, guys, you know, Wall Street Journal, Forbes Magazine Managing Editor, was an anchor on CNBC CNBC and Fox Business. And then I get fired in 2014 with like 15 minutes notice, and nobody will hire me. No PR firm, no media company. So uh, I've been out on my own for a few years, and I started this podcast less than a year ago. And, man, we're telling stories that the media won't tell because I've seen the media change so utterly and go totally liberal and lose their minds. Trump broke them. And so I did this podcast to talk about politics and business and growth and personal growth. And the thing is, you realize, and I know you know this, Rich, um, that as soon as you get on there, the temptation is to want to do all the talking, but really people want to hear you listen to Guests, and so the, we've been re- able to bring on great guests like uh, the under, former Under Secretary of State Keith Croc from the Trump administration. He's a big China critic. We had the the Wall Street Journal's Kim Strassel come on, best-selling author. Lanny Davis, who you know kind of personally sure. advised Clinton during the Monica Lewinsky scandal. He's an old source of mine. He came on. Carol Roth, best-selling author. She's got a book out now. You will own nothing. And Asra Nomani, who did a book on going, you know on radical uh, Islamism, and now she's going after uh, the school boards who are, you know, uh, sexualizing kids. We had this ESPN uh, tennis uh, commentator, Doug Adler, canceled years ago when, when, as soon as Trump got elected because they thought he said that uh, uh, one of the Williams sisters was playing guerrilla tactics when he was How talking about guerrilla warfare. How do people catch the podcast? How can they hear it? So, so we're everywhere. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, uh, Google Play. The home uh, base is Ricochet, this little conservative outfit that's got uh, its a little engine that could. What's the website above their for weight. it? 
And it's a ricochet.com. That's R-I-C-O-C-H-E-T.com. You'll find What's Bugging Me there. You know, calling it What's Bugging Me, oh, I'll let you go, man. I had that on Fox, <laughs> but it's unfortunately... It's you know how radio goes. That's the podcaster in you. No clock. Folks, we're on with Dennis Neal. And check out his podcast, Dennis Neal. He's at Dennis Neal on Twitter. Dennis, thanks for being with us. Take care now. Thank you. You got it. Folks, more to come straight ahead. We continue with hour number two. You don't want to miss it. We're going to talk about the 2024 election with the politics editor from Real Clear Politics, Phil Wegman. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Title Transference aired October 27, 2004. Director James Marshall, writers Todd Slavkin, Darren Swimmer. I really like this episode, and I'm surprised that you don't like it as much as you thought you did. I actually respect your opinion more than I respect my own in general. (laughs) (laughs) When you say things are good and I check them out, they are. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. Named one of the best personal finance podcasts, The Stacking Benjamin Show with Joe and his friends makes financial literacy fun. I got an email today from the LenPenzo.com HR department. I find oh. it really interesting. <laughs> I'm an employee of one at this company, so but somebody from the HR department sent me an email telling me that I had a raise. If I just opened the attachment, I could see how much my raise was. Make sure you click on the links that are in there, too. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, I can't wait. This is I'm excited. Find out more by searching the Stacking Benjamins podcast wherever you listen. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at night. With Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty loving Latino amigo. Happy Friday, everybody. Hour number two of the program. If you want to join us, the phone number is 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And I, I want to just uh, cover again just some of the crazy stuff that's going on uh, with uh, the headlines here. We've got the federal judge now uh, revoking Sam Bankman Freed's bail over alleged witness tampering. Uh, we'll chat about that a little bit later on. And... Of course, uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland announcing a special counsel in the Hunter Biden case. And again, if that's not a case of uh, the fox guarding the, the hen house, I don't know what is. And there's uh, all this talk. The debates are coming up uh, for the Republican primary. And is Trump going? Trump's not going. Uh, all this stuff that, that's uh, you know been brewing over the weekend. I wanted to get to the bottom of it with uh, Phil Wegman. He is... Um, from Real Clear Politics, and he's here with us now. I want to dig into a couple of things. Phil Wegman, welcome. Thanks for having me. You bet. So let's um, dig in, because I know there's a, a, a lot going on, and you're, you're uh, as, as uh, attuned to this as anybody, because there's so much going on. But there's been some talk about uh, this meeting that Donald Trump had, uh, these conversations that are being had with 
uh, Governor Kristi Noem. What can you tell us about it? So right now, Donald Trump is up in the Republican primary race in the polls by about 39 points. And so this is, in some ways, kind of a premature conversation because we don't know who the eventual Mm -hmm. GOP nominee is going to be. But there are some folks who are looking at these polls and they've already come to the conclusion that he's got this thing wrapped up. They are looking at step number two, uh, you know, realizing that uh, Mike Pence, now that he's running against his former boss, certainly he's not going to be stepping back into that position. And so they're asking themselves, well, who else is going to join Donald Trump uh, on the ticket? And right now, um, I think that, uh, you know, we can safely report uh, that, you know, South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem, she is certainly someone who is you know, towards the top of the list of potential um, vice presidential candidates. Uh, she is certainly someone who, um, you know, the, the Trump team would likely see as a value add in that she brings something new to the ticket. She can appeal to a different slice of voters. And I think by um, all accounts, the South Dakota governor is pretty interested in uh, that job opportunity if it arises. Yeah, and I guess that makes sense. I mean, I think a lot of people would like to run with Trump. He had a great record um, while he was president. And I agree with you. It seems premature, but I I did see a lot of chatter about it. And I thought it was kind of interesting, uh, being that Trump himself was joking on his um, social media platform, Truth Social, saying, uh, let let Mm -hmm. them duke it out during the debates and I'll figure out who who might be my running mate. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Now, um, with, with respect to that, what's the latest that you've heard uh, with respect to the debates, um, I understand Trump is is not attending, and he says he's not going to sign the pledge to to um, back an eventual uh, nominee if it isn't him. What can you tell us? So the RNC, as a condition of participating in these debates, wants anyone who's going to show up and be on stage to pledge that they will eventually support the nominee. They don't want someone to be a sore loser and take votes uh, away from the eventual nominee. This is pretty standard practice. Um, You have all of these different uh, contenders warring amongst each other. And then when someone actually uh, wins the contest, everybody comes back together and unites. What's interesting about Trump here is that he is so far ahead And for the most part, he's the closest thing that Republicans have to an establishment candidate because he is the former uh, president that, Mm -hmm. you know, he can sort of thumb his nose at at that loyalty pledge and uh, say, you know, not only is he not going to sign it, he might not even show up to the debate. And again, um, you know, no one has gone to the polls. We're still months away from any actual decision point. But Donald Trump is so far ahead that, you know, my sources, the folks who are talking to me, um, you know, from uh, in his inner circle or, you know, folks who used to be in his inner circle, they sort of come to the conclusion that if he was to show up, uh, that that would be a liability. He would basically be giving um, DeSantis, Pence, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, some of these other folks who are trailing, you know, so far behind him, just an opportunity to attack him. And so uh, the sentiment that I'm picking up on right now is he thinks that it is safe for him not to show up and basically um, throw DeSantis to the wolves, let the number two 
be the biggest uh, contender on that stage and have everyone go after the Florida governor rather than turn their attention on him. Um, you know, that's sort of, you know, the conventional wisdom that I'm hearing currently. But again, you know, Rich, I don't have to tell you this. It's Donald Trump. He, he has thrown all of us for a loop so many different times. Uh, right. So it's, it's kind of impossible to, uh, you know, predict the unpredictable. I, I agree with you on that one. But I will tell you, I think that that is a, you know, if I were in his shoes with a 40 point lead, I think I might do that, too, <laughs> because obviously mm-hmm. if he goes on that stage, it's going to be, you know, a pile on. Everybody's going to take shots at him uh, rather than, you know, try to really um, um, establish themselves as why you should vote for me. I shouldn't say everybody. I think um, there's some candidates out there like uh, Ramaswamy and uh, a couple of others that are really trying to stay focused on issues and things like that. But I think for the most part, everybody else wants to close the gap and they're going to try and take shots at Trump because he's, you know, the, the big fish in the barrel. So if he's not there, he lets them kind of kill each other and then he can come for the next one and say, all right, here I am. You know, and it, it's kind of classic Trump, I think. But you never know. He might just show up and take them all out like we've seen him do in previous debates. It, it's uh, I'm just curious to see how that's uh, going to unfold now. Um, well, I think I think mm-hmm. you're absolutely right there because. It would be a fascinating opportunity to watch some of these candidates work out in real time the central dilemma that all of them have, and that is how do they critique Trump without alienating his base? What we're seeing right now is Donald Trump's poll numbers have exploded. Uh, His uh, pollster, John McLaughlin, told me before the first indictment, the Manhattan indictment in April, he said that in all likelihood, this was going to help them in the primary. And we've seen that happen. We've seen, um, you know, conservatives rally to Donald Trump because they see, uh, you know, in their assessment that the left is going after him. And so right now um, we're in this sort of strange moment where some of his competitors are having a hard time landing a glove on the former uh, president because there are a lot of Republicans who would, would interpret any attack, even if it's from the right, as basically doing, you know, the less dirty work for them. So it puts the competition in a very strange, difficult spot. I agree with you. And, you know, what's interesting about that, that whole dynamic is it, it, it would give me pause. Like, let's say I wanted to run for president. I would think, man, how do I do this? Right. How do I run as Trump? Because obviously the base liked the Trump policies. I mean, many of them like Trump personality, too. But, they, you know, those in the base that say, I don't like Trump's tweets, I don't like his style, he talks too much, whatever their critique is, most of them are still on board with his policies. So if you have, you know, these other candidates that say, OK, I have Trump policies and I'm, I'm going to, you know, espouse those policies, but I'm going to be, you know, more polished, more presidential, more whatever. Uh, how do they make that case and trash him at the same time? Because it's like saying mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to out Trump Trump. I say good luck. Yeah, there was a theory of the case that some of these guys could be a standard bearer for Trumpism without the personal liabilities of Trump. And essentially, the Republican base had said, no thanks. Um, right. There was a, a hope uh, among you know some Republicans, some conservatives, that maybe uh, Governor DeSantis could be that alternative. But thus far, uh, you know, we haven't seen any appetite for an alternative. You know, DeSantis is polling at about 15 percent nationally. Obviously, a lot of things can change between now and sure. the uh, Iowa caucuses in January. But, you know, I've got to tell you, um, right now, 
the, the, the political dynamic is not one where you have uh, voters, you know, looking at DeSantis' foreign policy versus Trump's or, um, mm-hmm. you know, their economic policy. This is a situation where I think it really does come down to uh, loyalty and to, you know, um, a longing for uh, the first, you know, maybe two, three years of the, uh, the Trump administration. And that is that's what's mm-hmm. driving the race right now. The, the question that I think we're going to get an answer to eventually, unless things change, is are the things that are propelling Trump to um, front-runner status in the Republican primary, do those then become a liability in a general election? And, um, you know, right now he's, uh, he's beating Joe Biden by about one or two points in a theoretical head-to-head matchup. And so it's, it's kind of difficult for these other contenders to argue that they're more electable than, than the, the former president. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it's fascinating. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, Trump joked that he was one more indictment away from you know, wrapping up the nomination. <laughs> right, from there may be some truth to that. Yeah, from Cincinnati, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that... It, 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 according to, you know, um, the anecdotal data, it, it definitely looks that way. Uh, folks, uh, we are on with the White House correspondent for Real Clear Politics, Phil Wegman, and we're going to continue this discussion. I want to get into a little bit uh, of um, there was an article you wrote here that I thought was really good. And I wanted to get your thoughts on Ramaswamy, because I think he keeps coming in on several polls as number two. Um, you know, him DeSantis, him DeSantis seems to be that that's going to be the bigger uh, race between those two, which is kind of why I'd like to see a debate without Trump just to see those guys go at it, uh, because I think that would be an interesting um, uh, matchup. So um, stick with me, Phil Wegman, if you can. And America, we're coming right back. Our phone number, if you have a question for Phil Wegman, the White House correspondent for Real Clear Politics, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Welcome back. And our guest, Phil Wegman, he is the White House correspondent for Real Clear Politics. And uh, we've been having a discussion on on uh, Phil's coverage uh, of the White House, of course, and the 2024 landscape. And I was uh, curious to know your thoughts, uh, Phil Wegman, on Ramaswamy and, and what about him from your purview uh, is what's making him... Uh, on several polls that I've seen, he comes in second place where I would naturally have thought DeSantis would have, you know, being a governor and, and a former congressman and having, um, you know, all of that pedigree that he'd be coming in second. So in the majority of polls thus far, DeSantis has second place locked up. And the Florida governor argues that this is essentially a two man race, but Ramaswamy 
is looking at how uh, DeSantis has tumbled in the polls. He's dropped from about uh, 30 points down to 15. And he's making an argument to donors and to voters that he is in a good position uh, to eclipse the Florida governor and then really uh, meaningfully compete with Donald Trump for the nomination. I think that what's remarkable about Ramaswamy is here you have someone who has no government experience whatsoever. He is a younger guy. I think he just turned 38 um, last week. Uh, but, you know, he is a, a biotech uh, entrepreneur, and his strategy from the very beginning has been to go everywhere, talk to everyone, um, and some of these viral moments, for instance, his, uh, his back and forth with Don Lemon of CNN, oh, yeah, that really sort of catapulted him to more consciousness. And, you know, there are a lot of Republican operatives, people who you know, pride themselves on knowing how things are, are going to work out. Um, they wrote him off, and uh, and now it seems that he's actually in a position to, um, you know, to stick around for a while and certainly shape, at very least, uh, the conversation, um, you know, for this uh, Republican uh, primary. Do, do you think he's able to um, to move back into that uh, number two spot and take out DeSantis? You know, we'll see at the debate in Milwaukee uh, in two weeks if Ramaswamy has a, a really good night, if he's really to, able to turn the screws on DeSantis, on Pence, on some of these other folks who are also going to be on stage. I think that um, people will start to take a, a closer look. Um, you know, if, if you talk to the Ramaswamy campaign, they actually um, think that it is a good thing that, um, you know, uh, more than a third of Republican voters still don't know him. And their argument is that he has been able to, you know, really gain a footing thus far, uh, but he doesn't have the best name ID. And that, you know, as there's more familiarity, that the momentum is going to grow. And look, I, I've got to tell you, I mean, I think the thing that makes Ramaswamy distinct from some of these other candidates uh, like Trump and DeSantis is that he has a fundamental optimistic uh, message and mm -hmm. he is arguing um, you know that he is the candidate who's not just gonna you know recycle some of these old Reagan policies but that he can represent generational change we'll see if he actually has um, you know the campaign infrastructure or you know uh, the necessary message to, to actually compete in, in Iowa to actually compete in New Hampshire but right now um, you know, I'm, I'm telling you, uh, you know, the, the Republican operative class and the Republican donor class, they did not expect this guy uh, to make such a, a serious push. And uh, he's surprising a lot of people right now. You know, I, I look at this this way, uh, Phil Legman. I, I see Ramaswamy and I say he's a good talker. He's very smooth. He's very smart. And what can you trash him on? Really nothing. Right. Uh, kind of like Trump when he came in. The only thing they could do was. Uh, his uh, Billy Bush uh, tape, uh, his comments, you know, they go into his business records and try to say he did this and he did that. And that's probably what they'll try to do to Ramaswamy. But he doesn't have a political track record. So that's to his advantage, right? If they're going to try and argue with him, they're going to argue on whatever they found on his website or something he may have said publicly uh, that they can try and pick apart. But he's pretty good on those things. On the other hand, mm -hmm. when he's arguing, he can go at their record because they have a record. So I think he's, yeah. he's going to stand a good chance. 
Yeah, there, there's no um, vote on some appropriations bill from five or six years ago that someone's going to dig up and say, oh, well, you know, you, you were exactly. the, on the wrong side of this issue. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, we will see more negative attacks on uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, you know, in, in the weeks and months ahead if he continues to perform well. I think this is a case where, you know, they've kind of held fire thus far, but it'll be fun to watch nonetheless. It will. Phil Wegman. Uh, White House correspondent for Real Clear Politics. I want to thank you for joining me. Folks, check out his work on realclearpolitics.com. Follow him on social media. Phil, I want to thank you for staying up late with us. I appreciate it. Thank you. You bet. Folks, more to come straight ahead. We're going to talk with Chris Salcedo from Newsmax. Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but... Are you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring. That's right, going away, gone as in no longer available. You can still enjoy this show elsewhere though. Try out Spotify or Amazon Music, or maybe TuneIn is more your style. Whatever app you switch to, be sure to follow so you never miss the next episode. And thanks for listening, wherever you listen. Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back, and uh, happy to be with somebody you know from Newsmax TV. He's on every afternoon. He's amazing the liberty-loving Latino, Chris Salcedo. Welcome, my brother. Richie, my man, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. Uh, having a good time here on Friday night. I love Friday nights, and I'm happy to be on with you. Now, I want to I dig into a couple of things with you, because uh, folks that watch your show, and if you don't watch Chris's show, you should. Uh, he, has a, he always starts, as he's, he loves the Constitution. He starts his show with his monologue called The Preamble, where he lays it all out. It's always terrific. And... I want you to, uh, I guess, give us a taste of that with with um, today's special counsel um, appointment of what I'm calling the fox now guarding the hen house. No, you're you're so spot on, man. Everybody knows that the house of cards is collapsing. I think that today's special counsel appointment of a guy that's already proven to be corrupt, this Weiss guy, uh, a Merrick Garland loyalist. Weiss, who has already shown that he tried to give a sweetheart plea deal to, uh, to Hunter Biden, which would have been unprecedented immunity. By the way, to all the Democrats listening, unprecedented means it's never been done before. Uh, yet you have to go <laughs> slow sometimes for, for Democrats because they really don't understand uh, because a lot of them, you know, gov ed, but whatever. We, we, we won't go there. Uh, but anyway, unprecedented, this guy. Uh, Weiss tried to sneak past a judge to make sure that any charges that could ever be developed against Hunter Biden's malfeasance could never be traced back to the big guy, because that's really who they're trying to protect. They're trying to protect the big guy, the man who sits in the Oval Office, Beijing Biden. So with the, with the appointment of the special counsel, you can rest assured that all the Republicans, sorry, the conservatives who happen to call themselves Republicans, 
who have been doing a lot of great work in uncovering what Joe Biden has been up to, they've gotten very close. They've gotten too close. So mm-hmm. Merrick Garland had to do something to basically allow any single time now a Republican says, hey, I want to talk to this person, I want to talk to this person about problems surrounding the Biden crime family, they'll say, well, this is part of the special counsel investigation, so we can't talk to you. And remember, Richie, the last time Mr. Weiss had a case investigating Hunter Biden, it took him five years to come up with a plea deal for blanket immunity. It took him five years to investigate and say, gee, you did some really bad things, but let's find a way to get you off the hook to protect daddy. So I think around 2028, 2029, Mr. Weiss might wrap things up. And of course, that's the end of the, the next administration. So this is all a setup. And every American should know it's a setup from a corrupt Department of Injustice. Well said. Well said. And, you know, what's what's so interesting to me is uh, we've seen this before. And I think unless you're a connoisseur of these things, like, you know, following the media, being a news junkie, that type of thing, you just hear news. Right. Regular people who don't care about politics. There's plenty of them out there. And they hear this and like, oh, wow, Biden's putting good for him. He's so honest. He's so above board. And, you know, they don't stop to think that it's the same guy that's already been doing all of this stuff that got tossed out of court by a judge when he put that sweetheart deal together. It's it's uh, it's unthinkable to me, honestly, the way that this is playing out. And the other thing that I found very funny uh, is historically, whenever there's news that they don't want everybody to know, they put it out on Friday. Friday, yeah. <laughs> in, in the middle of August, right? Just, you know, like, hey, by the way, here's this is happening and this is what's going on. And I think it, it's um, it, it leaves a, a bad taste in my mouth because I feel insulted, right? My intelligence is insulted. I'm thinking, come on, you've got to do better than that. And of course, the, the media uh, and when I say the media, I don't mean present company. Of course, I mean, the, the, the folks that are in the White House, but for a few like Phil Wegman and and Peter Ducey and others that are White House correspondents very few bother to ask the questions that need to be asked. They kind of just go with it. And, and I just, I wonder, is this just an exercise in us calling play by play on what's going on or are, are people actually, you know, getting hip to, to, to the scheme that's going on and are people waking up? Chris Salcedo. I think, I think folks are, are recognizing something's not right here. I think when, when you see, especially a lot of folks in the Latino community, a lot of folks in the black community who see the charges that, that Hunter Biden was up against, and they have family members who are doing time, serious time over that, but, but uh, Beijing, mm-hmm. Biden, Beijing Biden's kid gets a sweetheart deal. Everybody knows the fix is in. Everybody knows the Democrats, if you're well-connected. Uh, you know, the, the DOJ is moving heaven and earth. And, you know, I think that's, I think everybody understands corruption and everybody understands that the FBI, the DOJ have been thoroughly corrupted. And don't, I don't think anybody should forget that it was just yesterday that James Comer said, yeah, you know what? I think we might need to call up some, some Biden family members in our congressional investigation. And then a day later, boom, all of a sudden we've got a protection racket in a sham Mm -hmm. special counsel investigation, which will be designed to protect the Bidens, not expose them. Great point. Yesterday had uh, Congressman Andy Ogles on, and he was talking about his articles of impeachment uh, against President Biden. And and that came out on the same day as Comer saying, I want to subpoena Biden. 
And it's fascinating to me that that comes out on Thursday. There's a little bit of a flash in the pan. And then here we are Friday. By the way, we now have a special counsel who's not going to be managed by anybody, right, Uh, except for the attorney general, because that's how the special counsel regulation kind of works, or the deputy AG. And it just, it's remarkable. Yeah, Greg Jarrett said uh, from Fox, uh, I'm not even sure he has an affiliation with them anymore, but he, he got his wide recognition on Fox. He's an attorney. Smart guy. Greg Jarrett said that yeah. there is a statute, and he, and he cited the statute saying it is actually illegal for somebody in the Justice Department to be appointed. It's supposed to be somebody outside of the government being appointed to a special counsel. So Greg Jarrett is saying this appointment isn't even legal, much less ethical, which, yeah. of course, ethics, ethics, as you know, Richie, flew out the door a long time ago with Democrats. But uh, this is this is crooked. I think the American people know it's crooked. But I, I was watching something. You know, you, you ever get on Instagram and you start scrolling through like random videos? Every you ever day. do that? <laughs> All the time. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, mostly I'm I'm watching the the comedians. You know, some, some of these old '80s and '90s comics, which mm-hmm. were so funny back then, they couldn't get away with saying the stuff today that they were saying back then. But I strolled across this one guy who was talking about everything that you and I have been talking about the the malfeasance of the FBI, the targeting of Catholics, all, all of this stuff. And he says, you know, what you're seeing right now, a lot of people are tuned out, but if you're paying attention, what you're seeing is the last gasps of a representative Republic. And I thought it was pretty eerie to hear somebody put it quite like that. That's scary stuff. Folks, we're on with Chris Salcedo. You know him from Newsmax TV. He's also a radio guy. He's got a morning show out in Texas. Uh, we'll talk about that on the way back. If you have a question for Chris Salcedo, give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833 482 5337 833 for Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. My hands across America to the liberty loving Latino Rich Valdez. Well, you know what I say is, you look at AOC, AOC has said in the past that in a European country, her and Joe Biden wouldn't be in the same party, right? And right. yet AOC has come out and endorsed Joe Biden for re-election, taking a lot of flack from some yeah. activists on the left. But the reality is the left understands two things. Number one, there is a fascist threat at the door, number one. And number two, Joe Biden's actually governed in a pretty progressive way and taken yeah. on board a lot of Bernie ideas, Warren ideas, and, you know, not as many as some of us might like, but more than we thought. And you can build on that. That's Mehdi Hassan from uh, MSNBC. He's always a joy to listen to. And saying the progressives understand that there's a fascist threat at the door. And irrespective of what AOC does when she puts her face in her hands and cries at the border, the threat is really at the door of America at our southern border. And we're coming back with the liberty-loving Latino you know him from Newsmax TV and from KSEV in Houston on the radio. Chris Salcedo, welcome back, brother. Hey, man. So now, what do you think about the threat that's at the door in uh, 
in your neck of the woods in, in Texas? Well, uh, it is dangerous. We have uh, 7 million illegal aliens that have already streamed in. That's a low estimate. We have 2 million illegal aliens that have gotten in, known gotaways. We have no idea who they are, where they came from, what their intent here is. They could be narco-terrorists. They could be foreign military. Uh, we, have, we have no idea. And this is the Democrats' vision for America. The Democrats who are in elected office know that they're going to be protected with men with guns, and they couldn't care less what these 2 million people are going to do once they get into the United States to us. They, the Democrats know about the vulnerability of our electric grid. They know about the vulnerability of our interior infrastructure. And frankly, they don't care. As a matter of fact, the more Democrats, they, they believe the bigger threat they can usher into that southern border, the more harm, the more chaos will be unleashed on this country. And the people will be begging for government intervention. We'll be practically on our knees begging for government to take over our lives. Not to mention the fact that they're coming across that border, some of them with B- uh, mm. Biden T-shirts. They're naming their children Biden. Um, wow. It is. I mean, yeah, it is. It is really kind of sick. And sadly, Latino communities are being destroyed all along the southern border. And Democrats want the Latino community to know they don't give a damn how many communities they have to destroy for their perpetual electoral victories down the road. Because it's already going, Richie. You know this. You've seen the stories. It's already happening in left-wing municipalities, the, the, the goal is now to give foreign nationals the vote. Because when you ask a Democrat who deserves to tell Americans what to do, every other country in the world, every other foreign national deserves to tell us what to do. And that's the Democrat way. It's a very sad state of affairs. And um, I'm looking at this piece in Breitbart. Uh, Biden administration increases migrant releases as border policies crumble under another surge. And I, it seems to me like this is just a, a regular pattern of events that Democrats have kind of embraced of pretending to do their job while figuring out how to skirt the system and bring about whatever change they want to bring. And yeah. I feel like we, we can't get away from it unless we, 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 we get new leadership. Uh, but it's it, in the process. So many Americans are, are being brainwashed and like, subscribing to this saying, you know, yeah, good idea. It's great. New Americans. How do we fix this? Well, don't forget the, the leaders in the Republican party, like Bill Crystal and Mitch McConnell and Mitt Romney <laughs> before, before 2016, I know they beat the idea of us that, that illegal immigration was wrong. They actually, they actually got Americans to surrender on this before Donald Trump came down that escalator. So the Republicans would, you know, they, they will take perpetual electoral losses from now until next Christmas, so long as they deliver for their special interests, as long as their pockets are padded, these, these non-conservative Republicans. So the, the way we stop this is we continue to expose it. But, I, but you know, I, I'm, I'm sad to say that this has been a bipartisan betrayal of our people for the better part of 30, 40 years. They have passed nonsensical and stupid laws designed to facilitate more illegal immigration, no matter how much the American people say. We don't want illegal immigration. Our elected leaders of both political parties have said, we don't care what you want, we're going to continue this. And it was Republican intransigence and Republican neglect 
that led to the abuses that we saw in the Obama regime and now in the Biden regime. It was Republican timidity and selling out to their woke corporate interests that set up the American people for this invasion. And it's exactly what it is, an invasion. And shame on the Republicans for, for, for all their caterwauling, for all their complaining and moaning. And you know this, Rich, not one illegal alien has stopped coming across that border all these two mm. and a half years. It's horrible. Now, you, you talk about the Republicans, and I agree with you. There's a lot of really weak-kneed Republicans out there that need to get it in gear. But with that being said, we hear a lot of talk, and I think there's a lot of conservatives now in Congress that are in positions of, of, of some influence. But we hear about impeachments of Mayorkas, impeachments of um, Harris and Biden. And Look, I'm all for all of them, honestly. But do you think there's enough political will in the House to bring about any of these, Mayorkas, Biden, Harris, uh, Ray? Hmm. Well, when you have 20 House Republicans voting to protect Adam Schiff and they've only got a five-vote margin to pass an impeachment, I mean, they, they can't lose, what, four? They can't lose four? Then, no, I would say there probably isn't. There probably aren't enough Republicans who believe that the Democrats deserve to get some blowback and deserve to pay a price for what they did in the last administration. But frankly, there aren't enough Republicans who believe in conservatism and believe in making sure that the, the Democrats adhere to our societal norms, our governmental norms. There just aren't enough left. Mm. And I don't, I don't know. I, I am more in line with this idea of a uniparty that uh, is, it's them against the American people. And I think the the vast majority of Democrats and a scary amount of Republicans are doing their level best to make sure that there is an all-powerful, all-expansive government. And the Republicans are just saying, well, we'll run it better. That's that's the Mitch McConnell sales job. We're just going to run it better. But they don't want to reduce the size, scope, and influence of the federal establishment, which is proving very, very dangerous on the border in the streets of America, the DOJ, the FBI, everything we've been talking about so far. Folks, we're on with Chris Salcedo from Newsmax TV. He's also a radio guy. We're going to talk about that and his program straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833 482 Our number three is coming right up. Open Phone America. This is your chance to be heard. It's a tradition from Larry King to Jimbo Hennon to me, Richie V. So we're going to continue that. But right now we've got Chris Salcedo. And Chris, I want you to tell everybody about the amazing show. If you haven't seen the show, I want you to watch it. He's got a radio show. He's got a TV show. Chris, tell us all about him. Yeah, uh, Newsmax TV every uh, afternoon, 4 o'clock till 5 Eastern. We uh, open the door for primetime. The radio shows uh, 8 a.m. Eastern till 10 you can hear it all over the country. I mean, you know, with technology nowadays, 
but it's based in Houston, but we uh, simulcast on Rumble and Getter, and we've got an expansion coming up in the in the near future. I'm hope, hopefully I can come back and tell you all about it, but that's basically it. Go to chrissalcedo.com. We just revamped the, web, the website, so folks can check that out and find out how to hook up with me on social media and such. chrissalcedo.com. Chris Salcedo, you are a heck of a broadcaster. I actually uh, looked at your website. It looks fantastic, the new website. People, you got to check it out, chrissalcedo.com. And, Chris, um, you do an amazing job. I'm grateful that you came on tonight. Hard to get you, by the way. Very hard to get him. He's a very busy guy. But we got him tonight, and I'm grateful that you're here. I appreciate it. You're a patriot, a gentleman, and a heck of a broadcaster, and I appreciate it. Brother, you're the only guy I stay up late for. Uh, <laughs> you're the man, brother. God bless you. All right, All right folks. Good night. And Open Phone America is coming up now. Get your calls in now. The phone lines are wide open, and we're looking to have a good conversation tonight. It's Friday night, so you know I let my hair down on Friday nights. I'm looking forward to having that conversation with you guys. The number, again, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And lots to discuss. And, again, for those of you that have voted for me for the podcast awards, uh, thank you for doing that. I appreciate that. We'll know, I think, around September 9th or 10th. So I'll keep you up to speed on that if we uh, we came home with the gold. Uh, but I'm grateful to have the nomination for the People's Choice Podcast Award for the podcast of this program. Anyway, more to come straight ahead. Your calls and more with me, Rich Valdez, right here on America at Night. Don't go anywhere. city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Your liberty-loving Latino amigo, happy to be here with you this Friday night, hour number three, open phone America. If you want to join us on our late-night national town hall conversation, feel free to do so, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And a couple of things I want to get into, and we're going to get to your calls momentarily. I know that we have some callers on, on hold I just want to cover this. This is interesting. So there are millions of kids missing school. Millions of kids are missing weeks of school as attendance is tanking across the United States. Now, we all know that there there was this shutdown of schools and everybody went online and blah, blah, blah. But now that in-person school has resumed, the um, the... Demand, I guess, for being in school just isn't there. And it, it's kind of crazy to see what's going on. Now, there's one parent here in the New York Post reporting, uh, Rosemary Negron. Her 11-year-old son noticed a change. S- school seemed less welcoming. Parents were no longer allowed in the building without appointments. And the punishments were more severe. That's a shock. I haven't heard that. And he said everybody seemed more um, angry and less tolerant. So 
interesting to see what's going on in in America here with kids not um, being happy to be in school. Um, it's not a, not a relatively new thing, but I could see the difference. But 15% of students were missing school prior to the pandemic. Now it's, it's apparently much, much worse. And uh, the Associated Press is reporting that an estimated 6.5 million additional students became chronically absent uh, in, in this last uh, year. I guess they're compiling data over the last year and uh, two years, actually. Crazy, right? Crazy that kids are missing this level of school. And the kids that are going to school, this is now in Kentucky. This is crazy. Listen to this. Where'd it go? Here it is. Here it is. Kentucky school system closes after a what they're calling a transportation disaster. What happened? They left kids on buses and in schools for hours. The largest school system in Kentucky, they closed schools on Thursday and Friday because the um, superintendent said there was a transportation disaster. This left some kids on buses until just before 10 p.m. on the first day of school. That's outrageous. The district includes Louisville, which has 65,000 school bus riders. Absolute insanity. I couldn't imagine sending my kid to school and then not having the buses or the manpower or whatever and leaving these kids on buses or at the school, in some cases, till 10 o'clock at night. I mean, that's just insanity to me. I can't, uh, I, I can't even fathom how this is actually happening and how parents aren't up in arms. I'm sure they are, but um, I'm guessing on Monday we'll hear the aftermath of this. Very, very crazy. Anyway, let's uh, get your take on these things. Let's go to John in Mooresville, Pennsylvania, W-E-E-U. John, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. How you doing, Rich? Hey, I'm doing okay, good. Okay, I'm going to talk about this cocaine at the White House. Oh, boy. Okay. Now... I listen to Dan Bongino between yeah, twelve man. and three. Huh? Between That's twelve and three. Yeah. Okay. And uh, he was on vacation this week, and a lady took his place. Are you saying Her that was, that that he's involved with this? Well, I'm not following. Oh no, no, no. Right. Dan Bongino show. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he was on vacation, and some lady took his place. Yeah. And and Miss Walters, mm-hmm. and she said, she said uh, the secret secret the secret service agent found this cocaine, and reported to his supervisor, and got fired right on the spot. Yeah, I didn't hear anybody getting fired. Matter of fact, um, uh, I'll, we can double check that. But uh, as far as I know, the story with the cocaine that they now understand who it is. There's some reports, unconfirmed by the secret service. But some reports reporting from the New York Post uh, that we talked about a couple of nights ago where they said that they have received, they received, um, they heard about the story and that they never had enough information to find what actually happened. They couldn't get a person. But the small plastic baggie with the powdered substance, which was found in a storage cubby, was subjected to the advanced testing, blah, 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 but they were not able to get any fingerprints or DNA off of it. So that's, they're saying without that kind of physical evidence, there's nothing that they could do. The investigation ended, and that was that. That's pretty much what they're saying. The New York Post now is saying they've spoken with people that they do, in fact, 
know that that who it was and that it was someone related to the Biden family. And they made it clear that it was not Hunter Biden. But again, that's an unconfirmed report that the New York Post um, was uh, still investigating. John. Yeah, but yeah, that, that Miss Walters that replaced Mary Walters. Yeah, you know, she's that's, a good friend. That must be that's false information. Then when she's good, I don't know. I wasn't there. I, I I could not talk about their show on my show. But what I what I want to ask you is, do you have kids that take a school bus? No. No, oh, because uh, if I had kids that took a school bus and they left them on for ten hours, I would freak out. How would you react to that? No, I won't like it. Yeah, me neither. Thanks, John. I appreciate it. Big shout out to everybody in Pennsylvania, W-E-E-U. And uh, let's continue. Let's go to David Egg Harbor, New Jersey, W-D-E-L. Go right ahead. Hi, Don Rich. Uh, real quick, I know you're a busy man. Uh, I think that the issue with the illegal immigration, because you were discussing it, if I'm not mistaken, you were discussing it recently, right? Yeah. Uh, the big issue with uh, illegal immigration is that it's ridiculous. It's gone out of whack. I mean, there's way too much. And even, I mean, my wife crossed the border illegally back in the early 90s. I married her and the situation was okay, you know. But mm-hmm. so I, it's not like it's not like I'm totally against you know, anybody who's an immigrant. I think that we should uh, we should definitely have immigration. But it's just I don't care whether you're talking to a liberal or a conservative. People see that it's way too much. We cannot sustain this and it's got to be controlled. And I think it doesn't matter whether you're talking to the left or to the right, whether you're a conservative or a liberal. That's the issue. But what I think a lot of conservatives, because I'm more the progressive type, right? Mm-hmm. What I think that a lot of conservatives don't get, and I, and, and I do wish that they would understand this point of view, when it comes to the progressive left, we're constantly talking about the ills of American foreign policy, and you know this goes back decades, is that one of the big reasons why there's such an issue with close to anarchy, and spe- especially in Central America, is because of our government. You know, it well, was, and this is not, an interesting you know, point that uh, let me just chime in here. It's an interesting point that a uh, vice president, Kamala Harris and AOC and others, they bring it up pretty often. Right. And they, they constantly refer to the Northern Triangle and destabilization of these regions during the, the Reagan years and Carter and, and whatever and whatnot. And while it may sound pretty, uh, I'm not saying it's not real. I, I, there may have been some. There's many places in the world where the United States has gone. We got we went to war in Iraq. We were in Afghanistan for 20 years, yet we've never seen this this major influx of of Afghans until until Biden pulled out of Afghanistan. Right. We've never seen a a ton of of Iraqis coming to the United States. And there are some and there were some that left and there was, you know, refugee refugee programs at the time. But again, it wasn't anything like we're seeing now. So to, to make the case now, 40 years after some of the involvement that we've had in in Central America, um, this to me, it, it just doesn't fly, especially when you look at the people that were outside the Roosevelt Hotel. Right. And and you look at them and these guys were coming from Cameroon and from all sorts of like North African countries. Uh, you can't say that the United States went and destabilized North Africa. And that's why we're having illegal immigration there, because the, the, the exodus from from North Africa, it's, it's, it's been going on forever. Right. Ten years ago, there was a huge um push to get uh, uh, people resettled from from North Africa into Germany and then into France. And so, I mean, th- this push has been going on for a long time. If, if it were isolated to people coming from Honduras or from from anywhere in the Northern Triangle, um, I would say yeah, we could have a discussion on that. But what we're seeing today really has nothing, in my opinion, to do with with what happened 40 years ago. 
what we're seeing today is what you originally opened the call with, right? It's too much. We can't handle it. And the bigger problem is it's not the immigrant, right? The problem is the guy that's inviting them. And in my uh, opinion, that's Joe Biden, Alejandro Mayorkas. These are the guys that are opening the floodgates. They send the military down there. And there was some video footage of of National Guard people like opening gates to let people in. They're playing a game where they're just allowing massive amounts of people into the interior of the country and then busing them to different places. And you don't have to take my word for it. Just listen to Mayor Eric Adams in New York. He's, you know, he's he's falling apart, right? He's on TV every day saying we can't do it anymore. It's unsustainable. It's just not something we can do. So I understand uh, from the progressive foreign policy perspective that you want to criticize foreign policy and you want to criticize Reagan or or Republicans. And that's fine. But ultimately, that's not what's causing today's problem, David. Uh, Can you hear me? Yeah, go right ahead. Yeah, right. Um, No, I disagree with you totally. I definitely think that what happened 40 years ago has everything to do with what's happening in 2023. That being said, though, I'm not saying that I don't think we should control it. I absolutely think we should control it. But I do think, though, that a lot of Americans, millions of Americans, do not understand and fully comprehend that the vast resources of the American military has been made and used to kill hundreds of thousands of people around the planet, to globally dominate the planet economically and Mm -hmm. politically. We have toppled over 80. Count them, bro. It's ridiculous. It's, when I found out, I was, I was flabbergasted. I couldn't believe it. Over 80 governments, there are only like a little more than 100 countries on the entire planet. Over 80 But all that being said, if we toppled all these governments and all these people, and we've, we've done it over the course of 50 or 60 years, why is it that now in, 21, in 2022, 2023, that we're seeing all of a sudden now, right? And it, that doesn't account for, for any of that stuff. You're talking decades upon decades uh, of... of People that stayed in their country up until now that Biden came into office and all of a sudden everybody's here. No, 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 no. First of all, not everybody's here, but I understand what you're saying. I'm not saying that definitely Biden is the cause of this. I agree with you that he is. What I would like to hear from the so-called conservative perspective, okay, is the admittance that the reason why there's so much social anarchy, poverty, and absolutely distress in every sort of category that you could think of, especially in Central America, and to a certain extent in America in general, in the American continent in general, is because of our own government and because of corporate control that has been in control of our foreign policy for decades. And I don't hear that from a lot of conservatives. And you're probably not going to hear it, right? And here's why. Because this idea, right, this is, this is a very old idea that uh, people like Che Guevara, Fidel Castro, um, Hugo Chavez, these guys all embrace this idea, the Yankee go home idea, right? The, the imperialist Americans are here using their military might to take over here and destabilize here and make all these problems all over the world. And because of these evil people, we have to stop them and we have to band together, comrades. And, and this, is, this is communism 101, what you're talking about, right? This is literally communist ideology. Very, I can't think of a conservative out there that's going to say, you know what, David, you're right. We, we need to become we need to embrace this communist idea that the problem is really the United States. It's our government. It's the military industrial complex. Now, I agree that the military industrial complex is a problem and and that we it's, it's a war machine and we feed it. 
And there are some politicians that like to feed it because they make money on feeding it and they're pressured to do so through special interest groups and campaign donations and whatever and what have you. Um, but there's always an alternative, right? You get guys like Trump. He fed, he fed the war machine and didn't use the war machine. And he didn't start any new wars. So, I mean, there's always a way to go about that. I don't think the way is truly to say the problem here is America. The problem here is us and our evil pursuit of imperialism. And that's why we're making all the problems. And all we have to do is look at Central America, look at South America and see exactly what's happening there. You've got the president or one of the candidates for president in Ecuador who was just assassinated, not by Americans, but by the cartel people, by, by a bunch of Colombians, six Colombians that they caught. These countries are destabilizing each other. And but for a few that are holding it down, like Bukele in, in uh, El Salvador, th- there's, there's a lack of leadership. And the corruption, in my opinion, has run amok in Central and South America. And, and this is the problem. doesn't mean that the United States hasn't gotten involved at times where it may not, uh, it should not have. I agree with that, too. But ultimately... I'll never embrace the idea that we have to come against America because America is the big bad guy on the block. I'll leave that for Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, AOC, Fidel Castro, Hugo Chavez. Anyway, thank you, my brother. I appreciate the call. I got to hit a break here, but we're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. He's brown, he's bald, and he's breaking it down. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, welcome back. It's Open Phone America tonight. Phone lines are wide open. I appreciate the lively discussion. If you disagree, you get moved to the front of the list. Let's go to Pete in Rolling Stone, Minnesota, KBBR. Pete, go right ahead. Hi, Rich. Right. Um, hey. You know, I I used to be a mechanic for the bu- a bus company, mm-hmm. and I, I also drove once in a while, not by choice, but one day I got called up. It was like five, I got called at five o'clock in the morning to come in right away. I actually had to act as a, a bouncer. They told me that I had to come in and I had to ride the bus and make sure that this family didn't, this, this parent didn't get on the bus. Wow. Crazy. <laughs> You know, yeah, well, I guess you're, they're going to need a lot of bouncers right now because of that story we heard coming out of Kentucky where they uh, left kids on the school bus until 10 o'clock at night. I would imagine if I was one of those parents, if my kid was on the bus, I'm jumping on the bus and I'm taking my kid uh, because you kind of rely on the school system, right? And if you own property, you're, you're paying property taxes that go to the school, school taxes to, to pay for this ultimately in a public school system. And the fact that we're leaving kids on buses or leaving kids in school or don't have enough drivers – 
I mean, yeah, I agree. That's a transportation nightmare. And it, it's absolute insanity, Pete. It's actually a federal offense to to go on a, for a parent to go on a school bus. I would imagine any person going on a school bus and, and when they're not allowed to would, would be a big deal. I know, like, when I ride the bus uh, into New York City, out of New York City, whatever, uh, I can tell you that there's a million signs posted that says if you, you know, you cross this line, it's a federal offense. If you mess with the driver, you can be fined X amount of dollars. Uh, and I'm not saying we shouldn't protect the drivers, but we got to get this thing right for the kids in school. That's absolutely crazy. Pete from Rolling Stone, Minnesota, KVBR, thank you so much for the call. We're going to come back to your uh, school bus stories and more straight ahead. I am Rich Valdez. Again, the phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. We'll be right back. Of course, we have some inspiring words from our vice president of the United States. Her name, Kamala Harris. And of course, you know, I have nicknamed her Que Mala Eres, which means how bad she is in Spanish. Vice president, Que Mala Eres. We actually made a song. It, it has like maracas in the background, like this. Like, Good old Kemal Eres, the vice president of the United States. Well, she was on MSNBC, uh, I believe it was this weekend on the Sunday show with Joy Reid. And, or it'll be on this Sunday. It's this week's Sunday show. We've got a clip of it. And she says that she thinks about America's democracy when she wakes up in the morning. Here's how the vice president responded when asked what she thinks about when she wakes up in the morning. Our democracy. <laughs> Rev, I think everything is at stake right now. When a democracy is intact, it strengthens the people. It protects and fights for fundamental freedoms, individual rights. It's a, it's a fight for order against chaos. It strengthens. On the other hand, democracy, incredibly fragile. It will only be as strong as our willingness to fight for it. And right now, there are many forces that are attempting to purposely, I believe, weaken our democracy. Joy Reid, Kamala Harris. Boy, I tell you, uh, listen, she's entitled to feel however she wants to feel. And, you know, many of us probably wake up every day and think about our republic and think about the state of affairs of our nation. But good old Kemalaitis, right? She she wakes up thinking about her democracy, yet she's part of an administration that is consistently undermining democracy. And, and I think it's just crazy. She, she She's out there talking about gun control, 
And it's to me, it's just it's so disingenuous. It's so phony. It's fake. It's fraud. And and it could be a, a fundamental difference in opinion. Maybe I'm wrong. Right. Maybe we just disagree on things. That's a possibility. Um, but I talk to people that I disagree with. We just had one on the phone before. We had a fundamental differ, difference of opinion. That That's fine. But Kamala Harris, I don't believe she fundamentally disagrees with me. I think she fundamentally disagrees with the idea of America. She fundamentally disagrees with the nation that we all know and love. And she's part of the problem, not part of the solution. Anyway, I want to go back to the phones. Uh, Let's go to Jane Saratoga, New York, WGDJ. Jane, what do you think about Kamala Harris? She is a moron. I mean, you know, I've never heard her say anything that has any substance to it. It she she's just it's you sit there after she speaks and you say, "Okay, is that it? Right? <laughs> is, is is that where we're going? Okay, well, um, now she, she is she is difficult. She is difficult. She's a moron. I would, I don't want her in charge of the country, and I definitely don't want her in charge of any schools or school buses either. Oh, no. Oh, dear God, no. You know, I was to tell you, what's happening here in our schools, which is, it breaks my heart. Uh, Well, I have a little boy who does some work around um, in the yard and stuff, and he asked me one day, he's about 16, he said, uh, is it okay if I believe in God? I said, well, of course, sweetie, of course it is. And he says, I talked, I mentioned God to a teacher, and she got angry. And um, I I got out a Bible, and I said, do you, do you ever sit and read the Bible, sweetie? And he said, I always wanted to, but I'm afraid of some getting in trouble. So we started, he'd come over in the wow. afternoons, I'd pick him up from school, and he'd sit in the garage, and he would read Psalms. And he started to really enjoy it. And um, one day he went to school and he had his Bible with him. Do you know what? They they put him in detention hall because he had a Bible. This was was in New York? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And you know what else they do? And he mentioned this. He said, "I, I can't even go to the bathroom anymore because... So many drugs are so easy for the kids to get here, and we have a lot of stuff coming across the border. And there are drug deals going down in the boys' room, and the kids who are selling the drugs are going in the stalls, and the school knows about it. And what they did to alleviate the problem in case a a young man needs to urinate they put down boxes of kitty litter for them. I mean, is that the sickest thing? I, I, I've never heard of there. such a thing. This is crazy. You're saying they put kitty litter in a bathroom for boxes people? Boxes of kitty litter for boys that need to urinate, but they can't go in the stall. And I'll tell you what, they will never forget me at their board <laughs> meeting. I can guarantee. But hold, did they have a plumbing problem? Like, what was the rationale for this? The 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 drug dealing? Kids who want to sell drugs are going into the bathroom stalls, and that's where they're doing their deals. So, if a young man goes in, has to go potty, but there's a drug deal going down in the stall, 
then they said, well, you can't get in the stall. People are busy right now. So they pee-pee in the kitty litter. This is what the school did to remedy the problem? Yeah, truly, yes. So you went to the school board meeting, or are you planning on going? I did. I raised holy, you know what. Yes, I did. And um, I I think... How did that go? He's... I don't think they like me anymore, which I can totally live with. And uh, he said it's gotten a little better, but they still once in a while will have a kitty litter uh, container over in the corner just in case something's going down. And, and that, to me, you know, that's criminal. It's totally criminal. And it's so, especially around the area where I am. Yeah. It is so easy. Some of the kids, you know, they come from fairly wealthy families. It's so easy for them to get drugs. Wealthy family, and yet you get to pee in the kitty litter. Wow, that's that's amazing. Jane, I got to pause here for a break, but I appreciate the call. That's absolute insanity. And something else that's also insane is that driverless cars are making a comeback. They're expanding. There's going to be more of those. I wonder if they'll ever consider driverless school buses. And I'm wondering, if you're a parent, would you prefer to have your kid on a driverless school bus? Maybe that might get him home in time, as opposed to these buses that are uh, being tied up till 10 o'clock at night. And also, some news from Wheel of Fortune. Vanna White is on hold. We're going to talk about that coming up straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night. With Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. So here we go. We're talking about robo-taxis, right? California has now given a company called Waymo and Cruise, another one, the uh, go-ahead to charge passengers. This is um, a vote that just passed the California Public Utilities Commission, three to one to approve this 24-hour service. This robo-taxi company, two of them, Waymo and Cruise, now have permission to offer round-the-clock driverless rides. Yep, you heard that right. Uh, to fee-paying passengers in San Francisco. Isn't it funny how everything starts in San Francisco or New York or Los Angeles? It's, it's, I mean, I understand these are big markets, big cities. But at the same time, it's just kind of crazy. I mean, I, I, I remember seeing videos of this when they started talking about this where people were getting hurt. I think one guy even died. But until now, both of these uh, autonomous ride-hailing companies have been able to offer restricted service in the city But on Thursday afternoon, the California Public Utilities Commission approved resolutions that would allow them to go ahead and start charging passengers and run 24 hours. Kind of crazy to me. I, I, you know, if you go out and you have one, two, three Malbecs, uh, you know, and you're like, I'm not going to drive. Let me get into a driverless taxi. And 
in my driverless taxi. I mean, it's kind of weird. I'm not always one. People think, you know, oh, you must like to talk to everybody. I don't really want to talk to everybody. You know, when I'm doing my business, actually, I'm usually very annoyed if the Uber person is, you know, how's your day going? What kind of music do you like? Blah, blah, blah. I could pass on all that, honestly. Um, I, I like the hello, goodbye, how are you? You know, I try to be polite. But I'm in my phone half the time, right? I, I got I to gotta talk to my producers. I got to go back and forth. We got to, you know, secure the guests, this and that. I'm, I'm doing that all day. I'm on my phone all day. So the last thing I want to do when I'm having a breather or I got to read an article or, you know, stay up to speed on what's going on, work with sources, people calling me, blah, blah, blah. So I just, I just think it's crazy that, um, you know, the driverless car, you would think I would want a driverless car because I don't always want to talk to the drivers, but that's kind of crazy. You know, I don't know. Like if I say, Hey, can you stop at the Seven Eleven? I want to get, you know, uh, a drink. I don't know. It just doesn't make sense to me. I don't know if you're into that type of thing. You let me know. Let's go to the phones. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Let's go to Bedford, Indiana, WBIW. Sarah, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hey, Rich, great show. Um, I'm a custodian at a school, and I'm really horrified to hear about the conditions that that lady was describing. Um, we have a sane school district. Um, I don't know how they aren't taking measures um, to curb this. The school hallways have cameras. Um, the teachers could make a note. They can watch the cameras, see who goes in, what, when, uh, you know, to see if kids are, same kids are always going to the bathroom together. Um, you could have, after a certain person leaves, you could have someone go in and check and look for drug paraphernalia. They could bring in drug-sniffing dogs to search lockers. They, the teachers could look through um, students' belongings if they have probable cause. I mean, I just don't understand how that poor lady, um, it, it just seems like they've uh, abandoned the kids' safety to let their school become an open-air drug market, and it, it really horrifies me, you know. Hell yeah, <laughs> me too. <laughs> I, I heard that story and I, I was uh, like, wow, I was so uh, incredulous. I, I didn't know what to say. That That's absolutely horrifying. And you're right. All the things you mentioned can be done. But what comes to mind is when I see these countless videos, when I'm scrolling through Instagram, Sarah, I, I look and I see videos from the Lexit movement and other people that get, they put out a lot of really good video content. And I, I look at it and you see these groups of young you know, teenagers you know, with their faces covered and they go and they, they go to the Eve St. Laurent store and they just break stuff and they steal everything and they just run out of the store with as much, you know, um, bags and clothing as they can. And they're doing it in jewelry stores. And this is widely known and, and accepted by the the people in these areas. They're saying, you know what, it's insured, it's okay. There's always somebody that's taking a passive approach to things that doesn't believe in law and order. I'll give you a really simple example. When I was in high school, a lot of people like to smoke cigarettes. Now, the place to go was the bathroom. However, you could not go to the first floor bathroom because that was right across from the principal's office. The third floor bathroom, nobody went there because they would police it regularly and be like, hey, hey, you can't smoke in here. You know, the, there was like a bathroom monitor at times. But the second floor bathroom in my high school never had anybody watching it. And it was almost like a, an open secret that if you wanted to smoke cigarettes, you would go to the second floor bathroom. This was my entire four years of high school. So, you know, I look back at this now as an adult and I think, surely they knew. And when I bump into people that graduated before me, they're like, oh, second floor bathroom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember that. That's where everybody went to smoke. It, this is what it was. So clearly the school was turning a blind eye. They knew what was going on and they did nothing to stop it. I figured they thought, uh, all right, we won't let them do it in the other two bathrooms, but they'll let it do it here. Even when 
when people would would um, get caught, like the school security guy would come in, he'd open a door and be like, all right, put it out, put it out, guys, put it out. And and nobody would get in trouble, nobody would get written up, nobody would get suspended. Maybe on occasion uh, they, they would do that if it wasn't the regular security guard. But that's my point. There was a different approach to doing things. So, you know, you're, when you're talking about drug-sniffing dogs and all these things that they can do, of course they can do them. The question is, do they want to do them? Are they going to do them? And I think that's the, the biggest part of this that is, is sad, is that's where we end up, Sarah. Yeah, no, can I add one more thing? I totally sure. agree. Obviously, the liberal politicians and school board members, whoever, have obviously decided to just let the drug dealing reign and to penalize the poor kids who just really need to use a bathroom. And I agree with you. It's a passive ideology that uh, produces these horrible policies and um, causes all these troubles. Completely agree with you. You're right. If they're not dodging drug deals in the bathroom, they're dodging, you know, girls or dodging boys wearing skirts or vice versa with the the huge push on trans. It's, it's a crazy time to go to school in America. Probably the reason that they're not going to school, right? We saw that big absenteeism thing that was going on. Or maybe they got stuck on a school bus. It's a shame to see what's happening. Hopefully it improves. Thank you, Sarah. I appreciate hearing from you. I'm glad you're back on the night shift. Glad to hear from you. And we're going to take a pause here. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. It's the Friday night edition of America at Night. I'm happy to be with you guys. We have the best callers on this program. I'm so uh, grateful uh, to have great callers. And one of those great callers is Paul from Zanesville, Ohio, WHIZ. Paul, go right ahead. Hey, good evening, Rich. Yeah, the only upside I can see of that uh, driverless taxis is that there wouldn't be as many taxi drivers getting robbed. That's the only upside because I'm not I'm not going to get in a vehicle with no driver. I'm sorry. This AI, I don't trust it too much. You know, like if I go out and I'm, you know, I'm, I've had a few, which me and my wife are responsible people. We take a taxi cab. You know, um, I want somebody that's there at the wheel that's sober. You know, driving me home, and I just don't trust that AI. There's too many things that can happen: road construction, all that kind of stuff. Everything. I don't trust them. And then this AI, this AI, I'm not, I'm not really in tune with that right now either. I just think we got a long way to go, and I just like to know your opinion on that. Well, listen, I think you're you're right in so much as that makes sense. However, I haven't paid cash in a taxi in ages. I mean, in New York, you pay credit card on almost everything, and with the rideshare people like Lyft and Uber, um, that stuff's automatic. Like you don't even have to have your credit card on you. And it, it, so it's, I, I can't see people really robbing taxi cabs too much anymore. I'm sure it probably still happens one way or another, but you're right. I'm not setting foot in one of those things either. I, I just, I don't trust it. And the reason I don't trust it is this. If you want to get a, a crazy taxi person, well, first of all, one of my colleagues and, um, and a mentor of mine in radio, Curtis Lewa. A compromised cabbie 
kind of uh, circumvented the route that he was on in a, ta- in a taxi cab once, and they locked the doors on him, and they started shooting him, and he got shot five times. It was a mob hit, uh, he claims, from the Gaudis. And, you know, outside of something like that happening, I don't see that happening to an Uber guy or whatever. But if you're in a driverless car and somebody wants to, like, just kidnap you, I could see a hacker just quickly hacking into the system and taking you wherever they want you. And that, to me, is is the biggest part of why I don't like a lot of this digital stuff. Same as the digital currency. People have control over your stuff instead of you. And that's no bueno, in my opinion, Paul. Yeah, well, there's something you made me think about. I didn't think about that because I'm still in a small town. We pay cash pretty much, you know, a lot of times. But it's getting more to the credit cards and all that stuff. But um, with the economy the way it is, <laughs> I guess you never know. But um, I right, don't Paul. trust that AI too much. I need more studies, more studies. Yes, sir. I appreciate it, Paul. Have a great weekend and take care. Good night and God bless. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, keep it locked on this station for more programming following me. Until then, I'll see you guys on Monday. Plus, we got a best of on the weekend. You're going to love that. And uh, that's it. That's all I've got. I'm signing off. Hasta la próxima. Take care. Brush your hair. I'm Rich Valdez. The Ed Milet Show showcases the greatest peak performers sharing their journey, knowledge, and thought leadership. This is one of the all-time best pieces of advice ever given on the show. Actor Rain Wilson. The number one thing that psychologists point to with young people of why they are struggling so much in this mental health epidemic is they don't have resilience. So how do you build resilience if you don't understand suffering itself? The Ed Milet Show is available on YouTube or wherever you listen.